Hey, it's Tweeter's Digest, the podcast that actively loves its audience. Episode 1, Miss G Loves Serial Killers. Hi, G. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today, and happy birthday season. Thank you. Oh, that's so nice. I'm so happy to be here. It's it's wonderful. I'm so glad you reached out. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, so before we get into this stuff, uh, first, I would love to know, what have you been up to lately? Um, well, since the year began, I have just kind of been trying to get my shit together since it's like, you know, it doesn't feel like a new year. I feel like it just is like a continue. It's like season eight of the pandemic. So it doesn't really feel like like anything new per se is happening. It's maybe the first time that that it's, it's not feeling that way, but I've just been, you know, getting my house together, which has been taking forever, but no one told me that it takes just literally too long to make your house feel like a home so right now that's like my main primary focus and I am trying to work more on my writing so that I can publish a blog soon um and with like everything that I've been writing on Twitter but in long form so I'm trying to do that at the moment I've been talking to Visa about it a little bit but that's kind of what I'm doing like the two main focuses that I have at the moment Mm -hmm. yeah that's awesome I'd be excited to uh you know read whatever you put out um, season eight of the pandemic is interesting too, because most people will be on maybe season three or four at most, but eight, you know, sounds like you have, you've had a lot going on the past few years, relatively for yeah. a pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> I think my life has kind of always been that way, even before the pandemic. So now it just kind of, it feels even more like a lot more is happening all the time. When I lived in New York, one of the main reasons that I loved it so much was because every day you would do 600 things. So 24 hours always felt, you know, I felt like I did so much and I met so many people that um, time always felt really extended. And I really enjoyed my life because I never felt like I was running out of time. I felt like I had a lot of it. Um, And with the pandemic, weirdly enough, it's the exact same thing. You know, so much happens all the time, even though I'm in a completely different country now that it's, it's a little bit overwhelming. Sometimes I'm just like, I would like just one week to be boring. And like for nothing at all to happen <laughs> at all. Like I just want to be, I just want to lie in my on my couch and like watch TV and like just be bored. Um, but if that does happen, I get too bored. And then, you know, I just I will initiate activities myself. Uh, but yeah, it's just it's been really constant for a really long time. So I'm looking forward to resting for a little bit, if if possible. Fingers crossed universe with all the retrogrades and shit like let me live. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll uh cross my fingers as well for you. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Uh let's get into your tweets. Okay. First one here <laughs> on June 10th, 2012. Oh no. <laughs> oh yes. Uh you tweeted Blank is the sexiest man alive, right after blank, blank, and blank. Hashtag non-emo moment of the day. Oh my god. I did not realize that you would go all the way back like this. Oh, I went all the way back. Oh dear lord. Well, I'm 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 fully trusting you now in this moment to not make me look bad on the internet. <laughs> this is my worst nightmare come to life. Um, <laughs> 
Well, what do you have a question in particular about this or? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you didn't write literal blanks. So uh, I was curious, can you fill in the blanks of, you know, almost a decade ago, G? Oof, a decade ago. Okay. So like for everyone listening, that means I was 14 or 15 years old. So be kind. I don't, I don't really know. I mean, I, it could be Joseph Gordon-Levitt, maybe it could be, it's, I don't know. JGL is not correct. <laughs> Oh my goodness, I didn't know I had just one try, but I, I have no idea. I, I don't know. I, I have crushes all the time. Um, who was it? Did you have another guest besides JGL? Just curious. Oh, non-emo moment. Yeah, really... that, that was a random part of it. I don't understand what's what that's doing. I, I mean, I don't think that I do either. I think, I mean, I've been using, <laughs> I, my Twitter was private for eight years before wow. it was public last year. So <laughs> I should have gotten rid of all of that, but... Uh, <laughs> No, I have no idea. I really could not tell you. Well, why don't you surprise me? Who is it? Yeah. Uh, so Sherlock is the sexiest man. Oh, alive. that makes so much sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> of course, right after the doctor, Johnny Depp and Andrew Garfield. Oh, my God. Wow. Wait, I have fantastic taste. Those are all people <laughs> that I'm so obsessed with. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yes. I mean, I do love, I, I did love Sherlock. I'm older now and he annoys me very much when I watch the show, um, but I do still love the show. I actually find Moriarty a lot sexier than Sherlock. I'm more interested in the serial killer than I am in the sociopath. Um, it's pretty but, common, I think. Yeah, <laughs> all of those, yeah, I love Andrew Garfield. He's still super sexy. Johnny Depp, yes, absolutely. Um, and the doctor, but, but I'm, I particularly meant David Tennant um, from season, okay. season mm -hmm. five, I think, is David Tennant's doctor of the season. So, yeah. Yeah. And uh, Sherlock is Benedict Cumberbatch, right? Yes. Yeah. I was really into Sherlock back then, like very much a lot. Mm -hmm. That's interesting because uh, I think Sherlock is one of those more, or Cumberbatch, is one of those more like divisive hot people. Like people tend to either be like love him or hate him as far as like, he's attractive yeah i think i yeah i i mean back then i you know uh i was only friends with other nerds so we there was no divisiveness in my particular group of people like we all loved him we were all obsessed with him but yeah when i grew older i think the more that he came into the mainstream sherlock was i think like his big break when people really got to know benedict cumberbatch and then he him and uh the guy that plays john watson i forgot his name i'm so sorry martin freeman um they both became really really famous right after sherlock because they were so good in it and that's when i started noticing that people were like oh he looks like a sloth like he's so unattractive he looks like a reptile and it was very hurtful to like 14 year old me because i was like who cares like you know his personality is really attractive he's a great actor um I didn't really, I, I saw, I saw the memes, I saw the comparisons with slots, etc. But I think I would still say that he seems like a wonderful person. He's super hot as Dr. Strange still. Uh, so I, I was correct then and I am correct now. <laughs> and that's what's important here. That's what's important. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm curious then, who are your current uh, sexiest men alive? Has your list changed at all? Wow, I don't think that I think about that as as much as I did back then with all the time that I had. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
that's such a good question. I mean, I recently have been getting uh, a lot more into Andrew Garfield again. I don't know why, but I he's just such a wonderful man. He seems lovely. I would love to be friends with him and just like I think he would have really interesting, funny things to say, and we would we would you know do edibles and and watch some <laughs> stupid shit, and I think it would be fun. So I think maybe Andrew Garfield still. I still think all of these people are hot. I would add Moriarty. That's Andrew Scott. Um, he's a wonderful, gorgeous, sexy priest uh, as well in Fleabag. That was oh my pretty... god, that's him. Yes. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. So I watched Fleabag. Yes. And, and so I have been ahead of the curve forever because <laughs> since I was fourteen. He's mm-hmm. always been hot. Uh, and so when people watched Fleabag and they were like, oh my God, the priest, I hadn't watched it yet. And so when I saw who they were talking about, I was like, oh, I have been saying this for so long. He's so attractive. Um, him, and I think I would add Hosier. I would climb that man like a tree. Um, he is incredible. So talented, such a charming, lovely, in- unbelievably uh deep like I hate to like he's very deep though like his lyrics and you know the way that he feels things and the way that he makes you feel things is very sexy uh he has very like sexy wood nymph vibe you know very very Mm -hmm. early but very sexual very sensual so I really like that about him but I mean you shouldn't ask me this question because now I'll just keep going on forever (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay okay uh, I guess for the sake of the audience, then we'll uh, we'll move on here. But yeah, that's a very cool list. Uh, thank you for sharing. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, next uh, on September 9th, two thousand thirteen. Oh my god! Okay. You tweeted, "An alpha female really gets a guy's boxers in a twist. Amusing, really." <laughs> um. Yeah, I. I'm not wrong. I am correct. Uh, I don't know what 15, 16 year old me was going through, but obviously someone was pissing me off. And I was, I did have the reputation in high school and of of being um, intimidating, especially to boys. Um, And I used to take that as a compliment, but really I was just a huge bitch. and they were not wrong about me being intimidating. I was just like, I was just mean and sarcastic and used that as like a defense mechanism. So I was really mean, but I think I did a lot of things back then that like I had to be working with a lot of, a lot of boys and it was not entirely a co-ed school. So people were not comfortable with the opposite gender. Uh, and I think that if anything, I think that really, it just reminds me of how much shit I went through in high school when it came to boys. Uh, so that's probably where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that checks out. Um, I, I was curious, what are the what are the traits or characteristics of an alpha of female? An alpha female? <laughs> mm-hmm. It's so funny that I think of that. Oh my god. I really should have asked you more questions at the beginning of this. Like, where are you getting my traits from? Uh, <laughs> from your timeline. <laughs> Good Lord. Okay. An alpha female. I think, I mean, I think back then my traits would be very not nuanced and, you know, like what a teenage girls would be. But now that we're coming up with them, I think you can help me come, come up with them together. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, I would say one of the traits of an alpha female um, would be like a sleepy sort of confidence. You know, there's no, 
there's no broadcasting of confidence per se. It just kind of oozes through her. Does that make sense? Uh, I'm getting a little tripped up on sleepy. I guess it's, it makes me think of like passive, which I know like isn't quite correct. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, when you meet gurus that are really charming and they like actively like, like gurus are like philosophers that are very charming and like you, you really tend to trust them because they don't seem to be trying to sell you anything. Like mm. they just kind of walk through with like this very, it just like, there's a knowledge in them that just, they don't feel the need to sell it to you or broadcast it to you. It just kind of happens from the way they move through life. And I think an alpha trait for a woman would be that kind of confidence. You know, mm -hmm. it just kind of, it's not something that you have to broadcast or talk about or insist upon too much. Mm -hmm. I insist upon mine all the time. So I would <laughs> you're not, you're not an alpha, is what I'm hearing. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, that makes me think of, I'm not even sure if this is gendered, but just the idea that someone's like so secure in themselves that, mm -hmm. you know, they're going to do or be whatever they do and whoever they are. And you're welcome to join in or observe or appreciate or none of those things. And they'll be fine yeah. either way. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I'll, I'll, any of my traits that I come up with for alpha females will probably not be particularly gendered. But mm -hmm. yeah, I think uh, one of my tweets that I don't know if you will bring up or not, because it's not funny enough, uh, is uh, is um, what I talked about how the people that I find most interesting are people that are playful without being needy. And I think that that's the kind of trait sort of adjacent to that, right? Like when you're that secure, you don't come off as needy at all. You people are attracted to you because you're so secure that they don't feel like you need anything from them. So they don't feel pressured or burdened. Uh, they just feel like there's a light and free space around you to exist with you. And it's it'll it'll just be like a very relaxing space to be in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This uh this actually like ties in to the topic of your next tweet. So let's jump into that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh on November 19th. 2014, you uh -huh. tweeted, meets cute guy with mesmerizing blue-green eyes, says, fuck, your eyes are beautiful. Wonders when she became such a cliche flirt. Oh, wow. That's so funny. Mm -hmm. I did do that. I actually remember when that happened. Wow. That was like, I... November 2014? That was November 2014, clearly. <laughs> Um, I don't know why I said that it was a cliche for a thing that I, I guess because it's so direct and I didn't think that I was capable of it back then. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah, I think I, it just kind of came out um, back then. And I think it's just it's been that way ever since, I suppose. Uh, mm -hmm. But yeah, what, what do you think? Uh, I was just curious to know what, what are your thoughts on the use, the usage of uh, cliches uh, in flirting? Yeah. Um, well, I think one of the main cliches uh, when it comes to flirting in main mainstream media and uh, when you're actively trying to make it look like it is flirting, like it's like it's very again, it, it insists upon itself. It's very aggressive. It's usually uh, some sort of over the top pun, uh, some sort of sexual innuendo. And those are like the very, like now my idea of cliche would be with those kinds of flirting. I think back then what I meant was 
I'm so shy. I cannot believe that I was able to say that out loud to a person uh, instead of kind of be doing it in a beating around the bush, subtle way, which was something that I did a lot more back then. Uh, but right now, I think that's what I would do. When people think of flirting, they think of actively um, expressing sexual interest. And that's not what I think of when I think of flirting at all. Uh, but I think that's what my cliche definition would be. Very insistent. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I think to me, maybe the, uh, the focus on the eyes might have been a part of it at the time. Like yeah. saying, saying someone has beautiful eyes might be like one of the default um, yeah. compliments just to someone you don't know. Yeah, I agree. That's probably that's probably a, a main thing too, right? Because I mean, I I have brown eyes, and I, I I'm Indian. I was surrounded by Indians most of my life. I think that might have been one of the first times that I saw somebody with blue green eyes in person. Wow. Uh, so that would have been that would have made sense that I, it would have just popped out, and I would have been like, oh wow, that was they probably hear that all the time. But um, for me, it was actually really rare. Hmm. Um. So then to get away from cliches, is it just a matter of paying more attention to the other person, noticing sort of less obvious or on the surface things, or maybe things about their personality that um, might go under acknowledged? Like what is, how do you get away from cliche flirting then? I don't think that there's a need to get away from it per se. I think um, it adds to the whole situation, depending on what you're going for. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think the only time that I find it a bit much is when it's like, you know, very overt sexual innuendos or um, sexual, you know, sexual aggressiveness. I don't think that's necessary, but depending on your relationship with the person, it might be totally fine too. Uh, so I just find it a little bit distasteful if you don't know the person very well. And it's just kind of like the kind of messages that you get on Tinder when people don't know you very well, right? Like that's, it's a bit much when that happens. Uh, but I think, if you did want to step away from cliches, I think paying attention would be my answer. Yeah. And paying and asking questions. I, I, I mean, I, I think I have a good example of that from when I was at a party and I asked somebody what they did and it was a party in Seattle. So they instantly started telling me that they worked at either Amazon or Microsoft. I don't remember which one. And I cut them off and I was like, I really don't care about that part because all of you here probably work at Amazon or Microsoft. I meant, what do you do like when you're not working? Mm -hmm. And they told me that one of the main things that they liked doing was running. Um, and so I asked them why, and they thought they, I was making fun of them. And I was like, no, I actually don't understand it because I personally have never been able to really get into it. I think I'm probably doing something wrong. I genuinely would like to know why you like it so much because it's the first thing you came up with. And we talked about it for a good 30 minutes. And I gave them some observations of what I thought they were saying to me. I repeated what I heard. In, and told them what I thought they were saying to me and if I was right about it. And they said that I was. And also that they didn't think that they'd said that to me, but somehow I'd caught on to that. And it was something completely different about their personality, not about running per se. Um, and that was one of my most successful like ways to make a friend and flirt with people, right? Like I just paid attention to this person and he was really, really happy that I cared enough to ask at the end of it. Uh, and and when we still talk, he's a wonderful person. So uh, I think that that's what that's what would be going 
against the grain of cliche flirting. It's just asking really good questions and repeating what you hear back to the person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in that case, you're able to like, you know, glean their personality just from their descriptions of why they love running. That's, you know, clearly yeah. paying attention, listening to what they have to say. Um, it's very appealing to them, like that they're, that you're listening so intently. Um, so that's like, to me, like a very non-cliche form of flirting, just that deep, deep attention. Yeah. And then at the end of it, you know, it's a gift that you get to give somebody because they feel really seen and you actually make them feel like you're hearing them out, which is probably not very common meeting somebody at a party five minutes into it. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And that's a gift that you can give anybody all the time. It doesn't really need to be sparked by romantic interest, which is another non-cliche way of doing it. Flirting with your friends, flirting with people that you have no romantic interest with, but it's a gift that you get to give to give to them regardless. So I think that's probably that's probably a good thing to do as well. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. Uh, and as far as the uh, sort of getting to know someone at a party or in any new context mm -hmm. problem, uh, I found instead of what do you do, um, a nice way to get away from you know strictly work is asking someone how do you like to spend your time, because mm, unfortunately yeah. a lot of people don't love their job so. If you ask them how they like to spend their time, they'll think about things outside of work at first. Yeah. Yeah, I do like that a lot. I mean, I met one person that was very interesting at that party and they made video games for Amazon, but still, they made video games. <laughs> Can't get away from that. <laughs> it was either Amazon or Microsoft. I don't know. Those are the two main places that people work at there. Uh, but yeah, I think, yeah, that's a wonderful question. I think one of my favorite questions that I got from Visa, one of his threads, obviously, uh, was what is your relationship like with blank? And that really gives them a way to tell you what they'd like to say about something. And you're not assuming a positive or negative relationship. You're just asking them what their relationship with it is, which is very open-ended and really gives you a lot all at once. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um... That sounds very similar to another one a friend told me, which is, uh, tell me more. So if they say something interesting or just yeah. mention something that seem to care about, just give them space to expand on that. No, you know, agenda or, you know, idea what they'll say. Just, you know, tell me more. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, actually it's so funny. I didn't even realize that I do that a lot till you just mentioned it, but I do actually because when that guy told me that he liked running and then he explained it to me, I didn't, I still didn't fully really get it until I said, tell me more about two more times. And then I was like, oh, I, so is this what you're saying? Like, are you saying that you actually really like being able to see progress in real time? And you might be the kind of person that you really like to see things stack up and you really don't mind incremental progress. So it feels really good when you're able to actually like visibly see that and feel it and they were like yeah oh my god that's exactly what i was talking about how did you get that from running and i was like well you said it it's not that i have some have some, some superhuman hearing or listening like you told me and i just heard that's that's the only thing <laughs> i was paying attention yeah i was paying attention yeah mm -hmm. um that that asking or saying like tell me more twice that reminds me of uh i think there's some either introspective tactic, I forget what context this is most commonly used for, but um, basically um, you get someone to ask like why about something they do or something they're struggling with. And then you get them to ask why about the answer to that why like five mm -hmm. times to like really drill into like the actual core 
of who they are and what the actual like essence of their personality like what that has like what like that's the true why it's like some you know facet of some core facet of themselves like is the actual why that they you know need to ask themselves why five times that to actually access yeah yeah and and i mean sometimes people find that very annoying uh but i feel like if in certain contexts if people feel like they've consented to that many that much inter like almost interrogation but not quite like in an introspective like challenge more like um i think usually the context is someone came and asked you for advice and they're not answering the question that you're asking them right like you want the answer to the fifth why and they're giving you an answer to the first so the easiest way to do that is to keep asking why till they tell you what your actual answer is um and i think that's yeah that's really powerful i am very blunt sometimes and we'll just be like hey you're not telling me what i'm asking here like this is what i asked and this is what you said i asked how you feel and you started the sentence with i think i don't want that mm, what i would like yeah. is for you to tell me how you feel um i don't do that with people that haven't consented to me trying to break down what they're saying you yeah. know and that's like <laughs> clients that are like I'm actively looking for you to break these things down I don't just like inflict that on people mm -hmm. um which is it's not like I haven't done that before but I've learned mm -hmm. uh but yeah I think that that's really powerful usually to be used in in situations where you feel like you're not going to bother the hell out of that person mm -hmm. yeah I, I think the uh, uh five wise activity is most commonly done just on like by one's own, just as a personal introspective activity. Um, mm. I can see how it might be, you know, aggressive or interrogative if someone hasn't consented, you know, that, that sort of thing with someone else. Yeah. Um, uh, you said you said the sort of I think versus I feel uh, dichotomy there. I was just listening to a podcast uh, <laughs> last night where um, the speaker talked about how there are, you know, just as an analogy, sort of three ways people can speak. Um, mm -hmm. And there's just like metaphorical, but people can speak from the head, uh, from the heart, or like from the body or the gut. Um, mm -hmm. And so, in just as a practice, when they gave people space to say like, "All right, speak from the head," um, it was often very just logical, detail oriented, just kind of no nonsense facts about themselves. Uh, and when it was from you know the, the heart, it was more just who they are as a person. And when it was from their gut, it was more like feelings oriented. Like there were all kinds of different modes of expression just by giving them this new frame of like, you know, speak from the heart or speak from the gut, as opposed to like, I think for at least a lot of Americans, um, many are often just like fully in their head. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So it's just cool to hear like, there are different ways to access, you know, ways of sharing yourself just by changing the frame. Yeah. And I mean, that takes me again to like one of Lisa's tweets, which is very common as well, which is that when you change the frame, it is actually one of the most powerful things that you can do either for yourself or for other people. And being able to do that, you know, you are, will be constrained by the frame that you've presented to yourself and being aware of, of the frame that you're in or that you've created or that other people have created for you is probably the most powerful thing that you can do either for yourself or for other people. Um, it's the most intense thing that you can do. It's also very scary because mm -hmm. Once you notice it, it means that you either have, you have to make a decision. Are you going to change it or are you going to keep going that way? Mm -hmm. And that's all really scary stuff. It's the next step. Um, the hardest thing, though, is even being aware of that frame and then changing it as a whole other situation. 
But uh, yeah, these friends are like wildly important and so crazy what you can get to know from people from just changing the way that you frame things or showing them a different frame. Mm-hmm. Um, it might seem really obvious to you, for example, but like it might not at all to them. And mm-hmm. changing the way that you frame something, it might change someone's life. Mm-hmm. So you never know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so speaking of frames, uh, in your next tweet, you seem to demonstrate a very particular one. So let's uh, move on to it. <laughs> on October 12th, 2015, you mm-hmm. tweeted, reached the point where IDK if the disproportionately large number of people saying, you're a freshman, you seem confident, is a good slash bad thing. Huh, yeah, I did get that quite a bit. Um, every time you read a tweet out, my whole face goes all red. I don't know if you're seeing that in the video, but yeah, every it, single it comes time. Through. Oh, good Lord. Um, I'm, I'm not fully understanding what I'm saying. I, I guess I'm saying, Oh, I don't know if it's a good or bad thing. Yeah. Um, I think looking back now, the people that I got it from most were, it was not coming as a good thing. Um, it was coming as like, a, you seem a little too short of yourself uh, for a person that just got here. And the minority was actually professors and they meant it in a good way because I ended up becoming friends with all of those people and we're still friends now. So the people that meant it in a good way were the people that were actually <laughs> professors. The people that meant it in not the best way were like juniors or seniors and like clubs and stuff like that, where they were like, you seem a bit much for a freshman. They probably weren't wrong either. Uh, I used to wear business casual every single day and wear heels every single day. I did like, I mean, I, I wore heels to the point where around third or fourth year, my doctor was like, you're either gonna stop wearing heels or your tendonitis is gonna get worse. So you can pick one. And so I stopped wearing heels and I don't own any anymore. But yeah, I was very, I was very self-assured back then. Not that I'm not now, but in a very different way. Um, I was very like working three jobs and four internships and I like at different clubs and in, on different executive boards. I did a lot of stuff all the time. I, I had a place where I would sleep for about three to four, maybe on a good day, like six hours. But that was my life for, for a good part of college. Um, and the people that meant it in a good way were the professors that were like, I see you working really hard. You might want to calm down just a bit and just like stop, you know, running on Adderall and coffee sometimes. Um, <laughs> Because we're friends now and they were like, you know, you did a lot all the time. It's kind of easy to be self-assured and confident in America, I'm not going to lie, because um, people don't try very hard. (laughs) I went to NYU and um, the standard of trying and working hard in America, I I don't know if it's America or if it's just NYU, but it's supposed to be a really good school and it is. um, And people are extraordinary. And they were in my major, they were incredibly talented and I was a very small fish in a very big pond. Uh, But a lot of people didn't try very hard in the first two years that I was there. It wasn't difficult to impress people. You just had to try a little bit. And they they were really happy that you cared enough to try. And Mm -hmm. I guess a lot of people just didn't, I don't know what, what this schooling is like, entirely in, in America, right? But like in India, it's really competitive. 
and you try really, really hard all the time, you're at like 99% work mode. So I was relaxing in America in the first year or two. Wow. And and like, it was calm for me. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is easy. Um, I spent only 22 hours on this thing, whereas I could have spent far longer as I used to in school because a lot more was expected from me in high school. Uh, so I think the people that meant it in a bad way, they're just wrong and I'm doing great actually. So <laughs> <laughs> wow. once again, um, I was just right. I always have been. <laughs> always will be. Yeah, I mean, my only question there was, uh, I was curious to know like what uh, had given you you know, the seeming confidence, but that's a very thorough answer there. That's so yeah, cool. Yeah, a lot of introspection over many years. So mm -hmm. I do know what I'm talking about. When it I guess it's kind of cool for myself too, to be like, oh, I kind of know where I was coming from in this scenario from six years ago. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> it's your fault for not deleting all your it is crazy, so crazy, my crazy fault. tweets. You're right. You're mm -hmm. so right. Oh yeah. goodness, I'm going to do it right after this podcast ends. <laughs> no, no, I need, I need to link them in the show notes, G. <laughs> Everyone deserves to read them. Oh Lord, okay. Oh, that's so funny. All right, next mm -hmm. tweet, let's go. <laughs> Just want to get through these here. All right. Let's do it. Yeah, uh, on, oh, sorry, on August 26th, 2016, uh -huh. you tweeted, I understand hella intimate, platonic, opposite gender relationships more than most people. Trust me. Yeah, I agree with that. I really do. I mean, back then, definitely. I think I was 19, 18 or 19. Um, and I still have incredibly intimate, platonic relationships with people of the opposite gender. And I still think that I understand it better than most people. Um, I just, because I have a lot of experience with them. Um, I think people misunderstand. And I think also, from my particular background, I'm Indian. And we have a lot of Bollywood movies and stuff where the main tagline is things like girls and boys can never be friends, you know? And it's like, it's a very major thing in our culture as well. Like everything is, you thought you were friends, JK, you're actually super in love and you didn't even know it. And it's not like that doesn't happen, but I had a best friend for very, very long who was of the opposite gender. I almost always have had friends of the opposite gender that have been really close to me. And we have not been in love. We have loved each other very, very deeply um, mm -hmm. in ways that, you know, there's like this pyramid hierarchy of love where it's like romantic love is right at the top and then it's friends and then it's family, depending on who you are as a person. And that never made sense to me. Um, a lot of my intimate relationships that are platonic are very deep. I still say that some of my best friends to date regardless of gender, are my soulmates. Um, more so than I think, I don't think that I've met a romantic partner yet that I would say would be like my soulmate in the way that I would say about my friends. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I, you should trust me. I do know more <laughs> about that than most people. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, I just want to know, like, what are the, like, the details here of the things you understand about these relationships that most people don't know? I think actually, you know what, being on Twitter recently and just kind of moving through it in the way that I, in, in the way that I do, um, I haven't really made my views on romantic love being romanticized very explicit. Uh, I don't think that I've tweeted about that, um, but I've always 
I've always thought it, I've always had this image of like, this pyramid is wrong and that's not how it works. And funnily enough, I've made a lot of friends that are poly or poly adjacent and I'm not, but I've had a lot of conversations with people because they're like, well, this is kind of what we're talking about in our communities as well, right? That like, there are different kinds of love that you feel and they're not really, it's not really easy to pin them down into specific boxes, even if you tried. Uh, they kind of merge, they go back and forth. You never really know. Um, and I think that that's one of the main things is that you can't pin it down. Sometimes it's more intimate than a romantic relationship, but that doesn't make it, uh, I don't know, like a less of a priority or more of a priority, like depending on what's going on in your life. Uh, I think that's one of the main things is that a lot of people would either look down on me for prioritizing my relationships that were with friends over romantic situations or would also I was like I was friends with a lot of guys and if they ever prioritized their relationship with me it was seen as a very direct affront to their uh, girlfriends at the time mm -hmm. um, either by the girls girlfriends themselves and sometimes it wasn't even the girlfriends but it was like other people I was unfortunately popular so people talked about the situation quite a bit and I mean this in like the worst way too like I was I was more infamous than famous you know what I'm saying um, sure I was a divisive character but yeah it was I think that's where it was coming from there are people that I've met of the opposite gender that are in serious relationships of different ages and we have very close relationships and it is not at all uh disrespectful or in any way threatening to their romantic partners, you know? And I think that that level of maturity was something that I probably was not encountering too much when I was 19 and I tweeted that. And I was kind of looked at as weird and wrong and I, it was probably bothering me. So that's probably why I tweeted that. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, this sounds like it's, you know, tying back to the security idea that someone who is secure in their relationship, like a, a woman secure in her relationship with her boyfriend, wouldn't even be threatened by, you know, the guy being friends with the infamous Miss G. <laughs> yeah, I there are a lot of a lot of factors going into that. You know, we're children. Um, 19 or 16, you know, whenever I was going through that, like we're all figuring things out, ways and modes of being. So yeah, cool. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Next tweet. Next tweet. Lord. On December 18th, 2018, you tweeted, sometimes I think about how I let men have sex with me when women exist. And then I'm like, wow, bitch, why? <laughs> and I still haven't found my answer, which is why I still go to therapy. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. Wow. I really, you know what? Um, you're really exposing me right now because I still think <laughs> this. I just don't say it out loud on my Twitter. Um, that's so funny. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, I actually <laughs> actively get into therapy. Because, I mean, the, the really honest answer is that that is a humorous way of me to deal with the fact that I was never fully comfortable with my sexuality because I was raised in a shame-based and conservative culture. And so uh, no one was really telling me what to do because I didn't tell them what was going on with me. Like I knew I was gay since I was 16, but I live slash lived in the Middle East. 
and um, come from an Indian background where this is very taboo. Uh, but I came to NYU and I finally felt safe and secure and not like I had to hide anything, but I still haven't fully gotten rid of a lot of the shame that I carry and a lot of the um, worry and fear that I carry around this. So that was a fun way for me to be like, damn, dude, like you're really still struggling with this. And I still am. Like that's still something that I'm struggling with, but it's, it's not at the forefront of the stuff that I need to deal with at the moment. So I'm not actively focusing on it, but I was for, for, for a minute. I really was. I was like, this is something that I should unpack. All of my friends are queer. Almost all of them are queer. Um, I knew that I was gay before most of them, most of my close friends came out. Uh, but they're still all far more comfortable with their sexuality than I am because they're all, all of, almost all of my queer friends are American. Um, and so we've talked about that a lot. We still talk about it. And I, every time I have a small win when it comes to my sexuality, I tell them. And they're always like, I'm so proud of you. Like, you figured this out. That's great. That's wonderful. Um, and we're really supportive of each other. So that was a humorous way of, for me to kind of try to deal with that. It's true. Like their women do exist and I'm really, really attracted to them. And I still struggle with figuring that out for myself. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing it's a, it's probably a humorous sort of response to, um, you know, difficulties with your sexuality, just in your environment growing up that really colors the tweet a lot. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, no worries. Yeah. I mean, I still figure I'm still figuring that out. It's really hard. I didn't realize how long it would take for, shame to dissolve I think that's kind of the only way for it to go you know you kind of have to look at it and actively try to melt parts of it away but it's still there and it it crops up in ways that you would never expect it really is mostly shame like there's a voice in my head telling me that I'm sitting you know and it's not my voice but it exists and I know it's wrong but it's still there and ideally it wouldn't exist at all but I don't quite know yet how to get to a point where I don't have that voice in my head. So we're still mm -hmm. figuring out. We're still going to therapy. Therapy rules. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, my, my serious question from this, I, I, I would be curious to know, uh, what, have you, what have been your biggest takeaways uh, from going to therapy? Oh, wow. I, I know oh it's a God. huge thing, just maybe just a few like things that immediately jump out. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know people are really you know, on and off about therapy. Some people are like, it's been wonderful. Some people are like, this sucks. I'm not even going to engage with the people that think that it's just for crazy people because that's the culture that I come from where even now my mom will say that if I go to therapy, it's because I'm crazy. That's why we don't talk. But um, there are, I think that if you find the right person to do therapy with, it is life-changing. It completely, I don't recognize myself from before therapy and after therapy. Like the, the, a lot of the tweets that you're reading there, you know, before this one, I didn't, I wasn't going to therapy. Um, and after therapy, I mean, I met the most wonderful person. She's incredible. I only stopped going to her because I ran out of insurance. Thank you, America. Uh, and then I moved to Dubai. So there was really no point. Um, but I think one of the main takeaways was I met a person that would help me hold a mirror up to myself and then let me actually see myself and pointed things out that I was ignoring because I was so used to seeing a certain image. It's kind of like dysphoria for the mind. You're not really seeing yourself. 
um, you have this image and you're really attached to it. You have a narrative and you're really attached to it. And there was this person that was like, hey, how about we stand in front of this mirror and we look at the, and we look at the person standing in front of it and we actually, actually look and actually pay attention. I, I think probably a lot of what I learned of paying attention came from her. She really changed my life and I love her deeply still. Uh, I gave her a gift when I, when we stopped and we both cried and it was a bracelet and she emailed me during the pandemic saying that she still wears it and she's never taken it off her arm, which is the cutest uh, thing ever. Yeah. yeah. So she really did like, you know, I love her and I think that she loved me too, which is not necessary when you have a client, but it does help to care about them deeply. Um, I think if you're really lucky, you find something like that and you find someone that really cares about you and they genuinely, genuinely want you to do better. Um, I think that's the best thing that you can get is an objective third party that's not your friend or your family uh, mm-hmm. that isn't going to lie to you either. Like if there were, there were, there were moments where I was like, well, I expected more from this person and I don't know why I didn't get it. She wouldn't lie to me. She'd be like, why? What, why do you think that you deserve this very specific treatment? Have you treated other people that way in such situations like that? And it was like, no it's like have you made mistakes with other people yeah I have and like it's not invalid it she never invalidated me but she also never lied to me about what was going on um and she pointed things out to me that I wasn't able to see because you get you're so in your own head you really don't have anyone else to point out and your friends and your family are kind of you know they've been around you for so long too they kind of also get blinded to your patterns but a person that you see once a week for two years is not that blinded. You know, they, they're able to see it and they're able to really point things out. She might actually be one of the reasons that I changed a lot of things about myself that were really bothersome to most people, but they kind of got used to it. One of which was that I was late to everything all the time. But the one thing that I was never late to was, was therapy. Mm-hmm. But then when I was, or when I was... Um, irresponsible with communicating that I was going to be late. Uh, she did not hold back. And she would tell me that she was very disappointed and expected better from me. And I should respect her time more. And she wasn't wrong. And I felt that way when people did that with me. And it took like two years probably for me to go from being 30 minutes late to everything to 25 to 20 to 15 to 10 to five to actually being on time. It takes time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hate it when people are late, but it's also now because I spend so much time and energy getting better at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Um, thank you for sharing all that. Uh, yeah. The the time thing, you know, that reminds me of the idea that the idea of like, can you trust people? Which is to say, like, when they say something, can you trust that to be true? Like, I'll I'll be here at this yeah. time. It's a very basic thing. Um, so if you're chronically late, that kind of expands to wondering like. Can I trust them about these other things about themselves yeah. or about our relationship? Yeah. So just being on time is a good indicator. Like this is a person I can trust and, you know, hold them at their word when they say things about. When they say things. I agree. Yeah. I mean, my friends used to have bets on how late I was going to be. <laughs> that's how I 
was there was this one time sophomore year when we had a secret stand-up party and I got there and everyone started clapping and applauding and I thought oh my god hey like it's me <laughs> Um, and they were like, no, most of us bet that you'd be more than an hour late. And so most of us won, which is why we're all clapping and laughing. And I was like, oh, that's not good. That's really bad. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad you all won. But like some of you have to pay a lot of money to all of these people. Um, and it's because you believed in me. That sucks. <laughs> um, <laughs> terrible. Uh, but yeah, and, and the thing is, one of the main things too, was that when she said that, it made me realize I cared so much about her. Um, and I, I love my friends so much. Like I am so completely in love with them. And I think it's the trust thing that I really wanted to change where I was like, I, my friends trust me and they love me and they care about me. But if me being on time, uh, at least trying to be consistently on time made them trust me more then it was an active way for me to love them in a way that was an action and not just words. And I was very guilty of that, of using my words to tell people that I cared about them, but not really showing up in the ways that I should have showed up to show them that I cared about them. Um, and being on time was one of the first ways that I learned to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, look at you, you're growing. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. She she's doing well. She's literally on fire too. Every time you you know she goes all red and blushes. So uh -huh. well, like we're that. matching. You know, it's it's nice yeah. now, two of a kind. <laughs> yeah. All right. Next tweet. On March sixteenth, two thousand twenty, you tweeted, "What is the best medium for me to tell people multiple insane stories from when I was twelve?" and lived in a forest in India for a month with 60 other hormonal teens, ranging from seventh grade to 11th grade with minimal adult supervision. Yeah, um, what's your question? <laughs> well, I don't know if this is the best medium, but uh, could you share just the first yes. insane story that comes to mind? Sure, actually, this is so funny. Um, I know you know you know Sean Mambo on Twitter. Mm -hmm. uh, I just had a call with him recently and this came up and we talked about it and I was telling him a bunch of these stories. Um, so I'm more than happy to share. This was kind of like a cult, basically. It was, um, well, a lot of spiritual groups in India are basically cults. It, it's not a good or a bad thing. Sometimes it's just neutral. And, you know, it's like a spectrum of good or bad. I'm really used to cults at this point. I was raised in one and then this was another one and there were a bunch around me that we kind of dipped our toes into. And this was one of those. It wasn't all bad. Um, but it was also traumatizing in some ways. It feels like a fever dream. In I, I almost thought that I hallucinated it, but my cousin, brother, and friends that I made also went. So to reassure each other, sometimes we're like, hey, that happened, right? And and we'll be like, yeah, I did. We did do that. That was the thing that we did. And it's like, okay, cool. I didn't just make that up. All right. Um, I think one of the coolest things was that... Uh, we had Acharyas, which is Sanskrit, I think, for uh, teacher or Hindi for teacher, one of those. Um, and so we had these two teachers. It was a camp where we went to study primarily because we were nerds. Uh, so we learned the entire syllabus of math and science in a month in the forest. They taught us all of it and they taught us ways to learn it by ourselves in a way that we would retain it forever. 
Um, that was an exaggeration. I don't remember eighth grade science all that well, but it's it was called the 100% memory program. So it was for you to retain everything that you learned for a long period of time. It kind of worked, I guess, if you did it right. I just kept falling asleep a lot because we studied for like 12 hours a day. We did yoga three times a day. We ate food that they made for us. So there was no fried food ever. It was only healthy food and raw food and coconut gourd juice or whatever, which was terrible. Um, you were not allowed to waste a single grain of rice. Sometimes I would be walking out and my acharya would go, hey, you have one, two, three, four, eight grains of rice and two curry leaves, eat it or you can't come to class. Um, and so I'd have to do that. Um, but a lot of the times we would, we would just put it in our mouths and then throw it when we went outside or hide it in a cup or something to throw it because we just couldn't eat that much. Um, but uh, one of the cool things was that we would go hiking a lot. And one day we went hiking almost every day for about four hours and our, our chargers would go barefoot. We lived in a forest. Uh, and so one of the days after around 11.30 p.m. or so, he said, okay, go and get your sleeping bags. And we were like, okay, cool. Today's when we get murdered. It's happening. It's finally happening. We're going to die tonight. We're just going to follow this man into, into, the, into the jungle at night. And we're just, it's fine. We've gone through so much at this point. It doesn't even matter. Um, and so we followed him. We're having a good time. We used to hike every day. Um, and we used to hike to this dam quite a bit. It was a few hours away uh, next to a village uh, that was, I think, about two hours away or so. So we would, we would go there by foot and we would get to the dam. And this was another uh, path. So we got to the top of the dam instead of to the sides of it. Uh, there was a bridge near it and that's where we would end up. So we ended up on top of the dam. And so there was water on both sides. It was a full moon. And they were like, this is where we're camping for the night. Girls on this side, boys on this side, full moon, starry night, huge bonfire, hot chocolate. It was the greatest night of my life. And then in the morning, there was a golden retriever puppy there for some reason, and we took him with us. Um, but it was wonderful. It was crazy. We told each other scary stories, and I'd never done that before in my life, and I'd never seen uh, that many stars before in my life because I lived in a city. Um, and it was a fever dream. It was crazy. That was one of the coolest things. One of the scariest things was we went for a weekend trip to another ashram, which is another like yoga, like area cult adjacent situation for a huge prayer uh, that we also do with like bonfires and dancing. That's very intense, but it's very fun. And it, we were excited because it just meant that we would have two days of no studying because we were busy traveling. So we got all the way there and we spent a whole day hiking and like you know going through their area of the forest and when we were coming back there was this big lake maybe a little bit bigger than a lake it was pretty large and someone splashed someone and by the end of it we were all in the water we were drenched we were throwing water at each other and swimming back and forth and it was wonderful we got back we were drenched we changed and we went to the prayer and we had to wake up early the next morning to see the elephants that were more specific to that area. And we really wanted to do that. So our Acharya our said, wake up early so we can get to it. You don't want to miss it. We get up early. We go on the hike. We get to another part of the lake that we had. We were on a different side of it. It's, it was really large. So we get to the other side. There's a huge board there that says, do not enter infested with alligators. And we'd been in the same lake the day before for like two hours or something. 
just having a blast and none of us died somehow, which is one of the many ways that we should have died, but we didn't. Like a lot of us had, not me, but a lot of us had like, you know, pus filled injuries. I had been scratched by a thorn bush and my teacher's response to it was wash it with water. And unfortunately he was right, it worked. I didn't need anything else. Um, we talked to our parents once for 15 minutes, uh, two weeks into the program. If a kid whined about being sick, we made fun of him because we were all Stockholm syndrome there. <laughs> so we were like, oh, what a pussy. You just have poop in your blood, like calm down. <laughs> um, it was like a weird, it was super weird. It was like the weirdest thing ever. Um, and we you know with all the other hormone stuff, like people liking other people and having crushes and making fun of each other and whatnot. Um, and they would sometimes take the girls to go check the boys' dorms to see if they were dirty. They were. I don't know why they inflicted that on us. Um, I think it was to embarrass them to be like, look, we're going to take some girls to see, look at your rooms. So you should clean them because we can do this anytime. Uh, you had to wake up at about 4.45 to take a freezing cold shower to be able to get to your class at five. Um, if you wanted to take a non-freezing cold shower, you had to wake up earlier, around four, and wait in line for the hot showers below. And the hot showers lasted like three and a half minutes. Um, but it was better than the freezing cold shower. Um, yeah, this is like some of the stories. It was pretty intense. I was, I still don't think that it fully happened. I think that I made it up. It doesn't sound real to me when I say it either, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's all. That's a lot. Yeah, it's just too much. Yeah, and I, it's clear why it's so memorable. Just a lot of interesting new stimuli and experiences, especially for, you know, hormonal teenager just out in the forest. Yeah, why did our parents send us out in the forest with these random adults that they didn't fully know really well? You know, they never did the program after us, probably because most of us were traumatized after that. Have they done it before you? No, we were the first cohort. The only cohort? The only cohort. And our parents were like, sure, we're going to take our kids into the forest. That's fine. They'll be okay because you said they're going to study. And we trust anyone that says that our kids are going to study. So mm -hmm. go have yeah. fun. Well, you did learn math and science in a way you'll never forget, so. Yeah, in the way I will never forget. I don't remember the content at all anymore, but I do, I do remember how I learned it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so clearly a win. Um, wow, yeah, that was, that, was, that was great. Very cool. Or, I mean, you know, scary, obviously, and traumatizing and everything else, but <laughs> it was fun for me to hear it. And it, honestly, even when we came back, we really didn't think of it as traumatizing until we got older. Mm -hmm. We were like, hey, some of that stuff was kind of fucked up. <laughs> one of my friends got her period three times in one month. That was not normal. Yeah, mm -hmm. she was afraid she was going to die. I was afraid she was going to die. It was also the first time I ever got my period in the, in the forest. That was the first time ever in my life. Mm -hmm. um, so that was interesting, too. I will never forget that. Second day there, I had to figure out how to do anything at all and I really didn't know so shout out to my friends in ninth grade that knew just a little bit more than I did and took care of me yeah girls helping girls love to see it yeah. okay ah, next tweet yeah on December 22nd 2020 you tweeted 
In honor of Capricorn season, aka when my dark, sexy energy thrives, I will be wearing black lipstick and turning into my inner e-girl goth self who only listens to 2008-9 Paramore every day. No, I will not be entertaining any opposing thoughts on the matter. XOXO Gossip Girl Kiss Emoji. Yeah. Yes. I think that's really self-explanatory. Is there any question in there? <laughs> yeah, shockingly, yes. Uh, I just want to know how have you been uh, inhabiting your uh, dark, sexy Capricorn energy this Capricorn season? Oh, I think for me, it's been less dark, sexy and more practical mountain goat energy this time, you know, since we are, <laughs> we are the mountain goats. And a lot of this Capricorn season has been very much incremental steps towards progress and growth, which is a very Capricorn thing. Um, it's very frustrating. You have to be very patient. It takes a long time. Uh, but I think the foundation of all of that work has been has been done in like the last in this Capricorn season, particularly. I've got I've gotten a lot of foundational work done that I'm hoping will really serve me for the for the next year, um, if not more. So I think that's been more the vibe for this year. Mm -hmm. Less blacklisted, more making 600 different lists. Like all mm -hmm. the time. Yeah, I mean, that sounds very Capricorn. Um, yeah. Are you the sort of person who goes for uh, like New Year's resolutions? Um, I always like think about it and I'm just, I don't know what it is. I, I think I'm either lazy or just like inconsistent, but I'm never able to stick to one. Like I never even choose one to stick to. I'm just like, mm -hmm. I just want to be happy this year. And I hope that I just get through it in a way that doesn't kill me. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's usually what I do. Also, because my my birthday is January second, uh, a New Year's resolution feels almost like unnecessary because because my birthday is like at the beginning of the year, it always feels like I'm starting over anyway, and I have I'm never able to articulate the kind of change that I feel over my birthday, but I always do, where I'm like, okay, cool, like you know, we're gonna. We, we're going to refresh a little bit. We're going to rest a little bit, and then we're going to we're going to kill it. That happens every year, and it's kind of nice that it's with the calendar here, so I never have to feel like like a summer birthday, you know, where you're like, okay, I guess I have like six months for the year left to refurbish or whatever. But mm -hmm. I don't really do. No, I don't think my TLDR. No. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah, that's cool. It sounds like the uh, the new year and your birthday kind of like build off of each other to set a good you know start to each year. I mean, I, I hope that that happens every year. Sometimes it doesn't, um, and that's fine. But yeah, I think that's usually what ends up happening. Mm -hmm. Okay, very cool. Next tweet. Mm. On January 30th, 2021, you tweeted, Call my titties Goldilocks. Not too big, not too small. Just right. It is 12.30 a.m. and I literally couldn't sleep because this tweet was ringing around in my brain. I'm so sorry. Goodbye. One of my best friends was sleeping over with me and we'd probably watched like a Twilight movie or something. And I went to bed and then I had to literally wake her up and be like, Amanda, I, I do. I can I just tell you this? And, and then we both laughed for like 20 minutes and she was like, yeah, you should tweet that immediately. And I did. And then we both went to bed for reals. Well, she went to bed at like five, but I went to bed after that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't regret it. 
Thank you. I agree. I think it should have gotten so many more likes than it did. Like I was disappointed when I woke up to the number of likes that I got because it's really good. It's A plus top tier comedy. Yeah, I can see only 22. The disrespect. Right? Isn't that crazy? It's so funny. Thank you for finding it. This is the first tweet where I'm like, finally, thank God. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, honestly, going back, I, uh, the uh, sex with men, wow, bitch, why um, tweet, that only has four <laughs> likes and that's a banger. <laughs> That's even more well, disrespectful. That was private, silly. I didn't want people to see oh, that. Oh yeah, stuff. okay. It'll get a few more soon. Oh lord. <laughs> G, that was the last tweet I had from you. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Before we wrap up here, um, I have one last question. Uh, I'd love to know what are your favorite things about your Twitter experience. Oh wow. Um, my favorite thing about my Twitter experience is that I, I honestly have changed my life since I've been public. I've met people like you in person before I ever even, like, I mean, we interacted a bit on Twitter, but then I actually met people in real life and it was so wild because I was like, oh my God, I think you were literally there when I was like, I'm kind of freaking out that you're all real people. You have a name and stuff that I know now. And like, that's wild. Like you're all beautiful, lovely, incredible, charming people. And that's kind of all I really want in life is to just like meet lovely people and have a good time and laugh and share beautiful moments together. Um, that's been the best thing ever. And one of the other things has really been, I mean, I've had a lot of crazy experiences and fun experiences and, and I have a lot of PTSD and trauma and stuff and one of the best things has been being able to talk about it and actively being able to help people with the same stuff. One of the main things was that like I'm a daughter of a narcissistic mother and it's a lot of um, specific inner work that needs to be done with therapy and you know there's a lot of resources and it was amazing that I was able to share that with other daughters that needed the same stuff that I did. And I only started doing that work recently over the last few years. The best thing was being able to be like, oh my God, yes. Like I did so much work. So I give you all of the resources that I have because I want your life to be better. Um, and it has made my life better. It's just, it's so amazing that I, I just get to, I think it's the people. It's really just the people like Lisa and you and Sean and just like, you know, I've met such Barbara. I need to mention her because I know she's going to listen to this. And, I like <laughs> <laughs> and Sarah, I just, I love my girls. I love my dudes. It's been so wonderful. And I feel like I'm going to start crying. So I'm going to try to pull back. But I just really, I just love all of you so much. And you've just changed my life. And now I have even more friends all over the world and I can't wait till I get to hug every single person ever, like a hundred times, like just smother you with affection. That's not just over the internet. Mm -hmm. But yeah. And, and just like everyone's shown me different modes of being and different modes of living, you know, like I oh, yeah. think my idea of like, yeah, that tweet with like, you know, you know, having sex with women, all of that stuff, like, sure. Um, but I think I actually love men so much more after I went public and interacted with men that I was like, oh, no, like, I really do love men. Like, I love what they have to offer. And I, I really enjoy them as people. I think that they're wonderful and kind and silly. And we disagree in ways that's funny and stupid. But we also agree in ways that matters. And 
we complement each other in different ways. And like, I met men that made me remember what it was like to care about them and, you know, really love them and adore them, you know, and like really tap into that masculine energy. Like seconds is dad posting is like one of my favorite things on the internet. He just posts about how much, how much he enjoys being a dad. And it, every time I tear up every time, like without fear, it's just so lovely. Like I love that people share that. Mm-hmm. It almost feels amazing that they trust us enough to share these things with, with us. You know, it's very vulnerable and intimate. Oh yeah. And they, and they trust me. They like give me about stuff or they like even just putting it on their timeline. I'm like, this is powerful stuff, you know? And I feel really honored and lucky. Like it's a miracle that like I, I somehow found all of you and get to be part of it and get to witness it happen in real time. It's crazy. So, mm-hmm. yeah, people sharing their just their personal experiences is absolutely one of my favorite aspects of being on Twitter. Yeah, I remember you tweeted about how you wanted people to you know share more personal stories because you wanted to hear more about that. Same. I, I agree with you. I love people's personal stories. I love hearing them talk about their lives. Yeah. Lovely note to end on. G, thank you so much again for taking the time to talk with me. Have a great rest of your evening. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. You embarrassed the crap out of me, but in a really fun, interesting way. <laughs> um, They're your, your tweets. They're my tweets. And I'm so glad that I trusted you, even though I didn't know what I was getting myself into. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. There were so many worse tweets I chose not to include here. Oh, I'm sure. You're I'm welcome. Sure. You mm-hmm. should probably, n- we should never talk about them ever. I'm just going to delete them all. <laughs> Um, but yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was the most fun I've had on the podcast. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is great. Take care. Alrighty. Bye.